Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 214, John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. Man, the rematch is finally going to happen. I don't want to jinx it. It's not Saturday yet, but allegedly they're going to fight this Saturday in Los Angeles. Yeah, man. Uh, John Jones, the greatest fighter of all time, arguably, going up against another top five pound-for-pound guy in Cormier, whose only loss is the John Jones. And I mean, when we look at this guy's resume, it's incredible. So uh, this is arguably the greatest, you know, light heavyweight fight of all time. And plus, we got Burrell versus Sterling. We got Hanato Moicano and Brian Ortega. We got... Uh, you know, Albu and Kern, so it's a good it's a good uh, card. It really is, man. I mean, John Jones is twenty three and zero. I, I don't care what you know what Steve Mazzagatti has to say about that. We've never seen a fighter go on a twenty three fight undefeated streak. It's unheard of. He's beating champion after champion after champion, and uh, we'll see if that trend continues Saturday because he's got another champion to fight in DC. And man, I cannot wait. But let's get down to business, man. Because look. Andre Feely is a minus 380 favorite. He's taking on the newcomer, Calvin Cater, who's plus 315. Now, a lot of people haven't seen Calvin Cater. A lot of people aren't familiar with him. And I'll tell you right now, the kid's no slouch. They call him the Boston finisher. And I know a lot of people have an issue with that nickname because he's not really known for finishing fights. He goes to decision a lot. But I don't really hold that against him, man, because when it comes down to betting, all I care about is winning. You know, whether it's a decision, a knockout, a DQ, a split, anything. So... Calvin Cater goes to decision a lot. He's 16-2. and two. He hasn't lost since 2010. I call him the white Rob Font because, man, I mean, look, he keeps his hands up like Rob Font. He's technical. He's not as, you know, dynamic as Rob Font or anything like that, but he's got a very similar style. He's from Boston as well. But when you talk about Andre Feely, man, especially lately, the athleticism this kid has, that footwork, I don't know what to call that footwork because I've never seen anything like it before, but... When you watch that Hakran fight, especially in the first round, the way he's moving on his feet, the way he's so light, and then he throws that left hook out of nowhere, leaps in and out of the pocket, drops him, the urgency to finish the fight with those hammer fists. I mean, props to Hakran for surviving. This is going to be a very interesting fight. you got to favor the seasoning, the UFC experience of Andre Feely, but I'm not going to sit here and count out a guy like Calvin Cater, who I've watched on Access TV win every single fight I've seen him in, man, and and he does deserve the UFC call. It's not a, a case where the kid's too green. He's 16-2. and two. So I'm going to go with Feely by decision here. I think uh, you know the UFC experience is going to show. I think Cater will be back to fight another day. But right now, I do think it's Feely's time. I haven't seen too much of Cater. All his fights on YouTube are from like four, six years ago. So it shows me that he's very experienced. But in terms of Andre Feely, this guy's making the right improvements. That whole Team Alpha male, they're on a roll right now. And they're improving at a good rate. You know, in the Hakron fight, even when he got taken down, we saw him reverse Hakron a couple times, and those switch step shots that he has, like his old teammate TJ Dillashaw. I mean, those look really beautiful. So, I have to think the experience is going to play a factor in here, even though he is a younger fighter. And I think he's going to get a finish here, man. I think he's going to, you know, move on to bigger and better things, and you know, possibly get that rebooking with the uh, Duho Choi. So, you think Andre Feely is going to finish the Boston finisher? Yeah, I think so. I just, you know, I haven't seen too much of Cater, Cater, Calvin Cater, so I can't really say. I've seen a couple fights, you know, it looks like he's got some decent boxing, but this is a whole different ball game now. This ain't just showing up at the gym no more, so I got to go with Philly here by finish. It's true, but you could also make the case that this could be that classic letdown spot because when you get a big fight with Duho Choi, you're fighting in your home state of California. I mean, you're getting up for a fight like that, but then they call you that. You know, Duho can't make it, and you're going to fight Calvin Cater. You know, you might be like, 
who the fuck is Calvin Cater? So who knows if he's motivated? But I know if Feely shows up for this one, he will take it. But I do question it, you know, if he's as excited knowing, you know, there's the switching opponent. And Calvin's a really, really tough guy, like I mentioned. But all that said, I do agree with you. I think Feely will find a way to get it done. Now, I'm very excited about this fight because we got Renato Moicano Carnero. He's minus 150. The comeback on Brian T. City Ortega is plus 130. Now, Shaq, what are you thinking, man? Renato Moicano is the best prospect at 145 pounds, in my opinion. This guy has shown me that he's good everywhere. We saw him in the Tukugal fight move forward, you know, keep his range. And, you know, outstrike him. And when he got taken down, he hit him with those beautiful butterfly sweeps. And he got back up to his feet every single time. Then we saw him going there against Jeremy Stevens, a big power puncher. He switches up the plan. Now he's moving backwards, staying on the outside. And, you know, outstriking him, landing those body kicks, landing those leg kicks. And even when they got inside the pocket, he beat Jeremy. And then we saw him take down Jeremy easily two times where... Guys like D1 wrestlers like Bermudez, Frankie Edgar, even though Frankie did take him down, they're struggling to take him down. Where when Hanato took him down, it was clean, no resistance at all. And, you know, Ortega, he has a tendency to fall fall behind in his fights, you know, lose the first two rounds. And his coaches always express deep waters, deep waters, you know, because he excels in chaos. But I think he's going to get down two rounds. And I think Hanato's just too poised. He's got that good ringmanship. And he's just too seasoned to to engage Ortega in a wild, crazy fight. He's going to stay technical, he's going to stay composed, and he's going to win this decision easily. You know, I got Moicano as well, man. He kind of reminds me of the featherweight James Vick, man. Circles around the ring, a lot of volume. Most importantly, he wins fights. Maybe a little bit less on the flying knees than Vic, but that jab is out there, and he's always moving, and he doesn't feel a need to engage you in a brawl, which is a quality I love in a fighter. You know, if you'll take a big shot, you know, because Jeremy did hit him with one or two. Look, when you're fighting Jeremy Stevens for 15 minutes, one or two punches are going to land, and when he took him, he took him like a champ. He stayed focused. He stayed disciplined. He stayed on his game plan. That's exactly what I like. When you talk about Brian T. City Ortega, to me, he just reminds me of the featherweight Gilbert Burns, and what I mean by that is... On the feet, he's a total punching bag, but he's got unbelievable jujitsu. So, okay, all we got to do, we know how to beat a guy like that. We outpoint him on the feet. We pick him apart with the jab. There's no chance in hell that Brian T. City is going to outstrike Moicano. His only chance to win this fight is to somehow drag it to the mat and use his expert Brazilian jujitsu. But Moicano's a black belt too, and I'm not talking to Ryan Jane's black belt either. Yeah, Renato, you know, he trains with Team Constrictor, you know, who uh, produced Paulo Tiago back in the day. And remember some of the six submissions he had back in the day and knockouts, by the, by the way. And, you know, Ortega, he doesn't have the wrestling advantage here. We can take him down. And I think we can go in his guard and be totally fine. Obviously, I don't want him to play around with that, just considering that Ortega, besides Damian Maia, he's got to be up there for, you know, best fighter in terms of submission ability. So... You know, some of the stuff he pulls off, that Tiago Tavares fight, that Brandao fight. And Ortega can strike, too. He just, just his defense his defense isn't very good. But, you know, he's game, man. He's going to be in there the whole fight. You know, I'm not saying that Hanato's going to go out there and totally, you know, tool him. But I think Hanato's just going to keep this safe, win every single round. And, you know, I got 3.85 units on it to win 2.96, and I'm very confident that it's going to cash. Yeah, but when we talk about Damian Maya, one thing that makes Maya so great is that he actually has wrestling too. Not, not a formal wrestling background, but he chains takedowns. Whereas T-City, 
It's all off his back. And that's why they call him T-City, Triangle City. So, you know, as long as we're not fucking around in his guard, I think we should be perfectly fine. Now, I want to emphasize something you talked about. You talked about how Moicano took down Jeremy Stevens, and people might not think that's a big deal. Let me explain why that's a big deal. When Frankie took down Jeremy Stevens, Jeremy popped right back up like it was nothing. It wasn't until the third round where Frankie finally got a little bit of top control, whereas when Moicano took down Jeremy, he kept him down. So... That shows me a lot, and also the fact that, you know, it's not that he's just some wrestler looking for a random shot. He's able to mix his strikes to his takedowns, and he's just an all-around, well-rounded MMA fighter. You can't tell me any weaknesses he has in his game. He showed me he can move forward. He showed me he can counter-strike moving backwards. He showed me his offensive wrestling, and he showed me his defensive wrestling and his get-up game. So this guy's the top, uh, top prospect at 145, in my opinion. He is, and, you know, Clay Guida dropped Brian T-City Ortega. I just don't think Brian T-City reacts that well when he gets hit, not because he's not tough. He's very tough. It's very because tough. he's defensively flawed in a way where he's just not technically sound in terms of his defense striking, and that's all there is to it. He's yeah. a tough guy. He wants to win the fight, but when you're fighting a dude that's so much more technical than you, as Moicano is, who's just a smarter fighter, I think Moicano's going to get that decision, I mean, man. when you're fighting, you know, Clay Guida, who at the time, you know, was on his way out, props to Clay Guida for beating Eric He still Eric is Coke. on his way out. You know, props <laughs> to him for beating Coke, but we know the deal here. And then, you know, when he fights a mental midget in Brandao, after losing the first two rounds, you know, he got that front, uh, that front headlock, you know, pulled guard and got that triangle. <laughs> And you know it is what it is. I just think Hanato's more compo- more com- uh, composed, and he's just a more f- uh, smarter fighter. That fight IQ is just gonna prevail here. Yeah. So I uh, I put Moicano in a four unit parlay. I don't often do parlays, but two weeks in a row. Last week, Jimmy Rivera and Shane Burgos. I know Weidman went out there and destroyed my Kelvin play, but Jimmy and Shane took care of business for me. Week. Oh yeah. I mean, we can talk about that later. But look, this next fight. Oh, but real quick, before that, four units on Moicano and someone later on. But this next fight, we got Aljamain Sterling. He's minus 125, the comeback on the former champion and the former pound-for-pound king. Henan Barrow is plus 105. Now, it's interesting to see Barrow as an underdog here against a guy like Sterling, right? Yeah, I mean, on paper, this fight seems really simple. Henan Barrow has 100% takedown defense. I think he might have got taken out once, but it was very briefly, and it was while he was rocked. So he's never been taken down cleanly, and we know what happens when Aljamain can't get takedowns. He his striking, his hands have not improved at all, in my opinion. He's just a kicker, and you know, I, I when when uh, Hennon was plus one twenty five, you know, I highly considered it. But the reason why I'm gonna pass on this is just because I feel like one of these days, you know, Aljamain might figure it out. He's very athletic, and he's got the tools to be a very good fighter at one thirty five, and Hennon. You know, he's living in Phoenix now, by the way. He's living in uh, at Power MMA. He's, he moved to the States finally. And, you know, back in the day, I used to say fade Power MMA. But, you know, I think the, I think the times have uh, passed now. Aaron Simpson left. <laughs> Aaron, you know, he's got his own coaches down there. He's got his own people. Henning trains with his own people. And, you know, I'm not very high on Aljamain Sterling in the Caraway fight. In the lead up to the Caraway fight, he's saying Caraway's the worst striker, Caraway sucks, Caraway this and that. And then he gets totally punked out the week of the fight. You know, Caraway was like, one minute he's saying I suck, and then the next minute he's saying I'm better than Thomas Almeida and Garbrandt. So he was like, that clearly shows you where his head's at. And then the Asuntau fight, you know, he he thinks he won. You know, it was a close fight, but you can't be mad. You can't be you you have to, you can only blame yourself. You 
didn't move forward. You moved back the entire time, and you only threw kicks. That's not enough in this game. And, you know, I don't trust him at all at minus 125, but I pass on Brown mainly due to I'm not sure yet. Let me let me see him one fight and his new camp. You know, in the Nova fight, it was just a little, even though he clearly won, it was just a little too close for, for my liking. I feel like he should have comp- wiped him out. You know, he arguably lost a round. I think he lost the first round in that fight. It was just a little too close. And, uh, you know, like I said, Sterling's a very tough guy to fight. He's not going to engage you in a war. He's going to stand on the outside and run and throw kicks. And, you know, he could out possibly out-volume Burrell with that. And uh, so I'm going to pass on Burrell, but Burrell is my pick to win the fight. I don't think Sterling's going to get a takedown. And when Sterling doesn't get his way, he has a tendency to break. And, you know, he's not fighting Augusto, Men- he's not fighting Augusto Mendez, who's a jiu-jitsu guy who's going to try to jump guillotines and stuff like that. So, uh... I think Hennon's just a better fighter all around, and I think he's going to win. A split decision. This is a tough one for me to call, man, because I've always been aboard the fade Aljamain Sterling train, man. I mean, I was the original to fade Aljamain with you. I mean, we, we plus 350. Plus, plus 350 on Brian Caraway, man. You know what I'm saying? That was the original Aljo fade. I've known this guy is all hype for a very long time. The issue here is that. Hennon Burrell, you know, he hasn't looked the same for a very long time. Even when he went up to 145 pounds in that fight with Nover, he's looking slow. He's gassing out in the first round. Now, I have been looking at his Instagram. The dude's in incredible shape right now. Plus, he he weaseled his way to make this in 140-pound catchweight, which I do think is advantageous for Hennon Burrell. The thing is, if I was guaranteed the Hennon Burrell that fought Brad Pickett, <laughs> you know, that, that, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's max bet season. But the issue here is this is a very diminished, you know, post two TJ beatings, post USADA, post a lot Jeremy of things. Stevens. Oh, yeah, Jeremy Stevens happened as well. This is going to surprise a lot of people. I'm actually going to go with Aljamain Sterling. You pick Burrell by split. I'm going to go Aljo by split. I think that it's going to be one of those sweaty fights that – you know, it's, it could go either way. Whoever bets on it and loses is going to be super pissed. And I actually think the way that Aljo is going to win is he's not going to engage, you know, in a stand-up brawl, but he'll use certain strikes such as his jab, and then he'll, you know, sidekick to the knee, run around the ring. He'll only use strikes like that, and then eventually he might push him up against the fence, land some knees to the thigh, just kill the clock, make it boring. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I, I think Aljo is going to win a split. Yeah, man, uh, it's a very tough fight, but... Make no mistake about it. If Aljo gets through this fight and moves on to, you know, other top guys at 135, he will be faded. He will be faded indeed. Imagine Aljo versus Tomas Almeida. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, next up, and man, he it already got good, but here it gets even better because Jason the Kid Knight. Now, I'm surprised he's a favorite here. He's minus 125. The comeback on Ricardo the Bully Lamas is plus 105. Now, Shaq, I don't like bullies, man, but what do you think about this fight? It's a very tough fight for both guys. You know, Lamas, he's been top five at 145 for like the last five, six years. And we know his game. We know he's he's well-rounded. He can wrestle. He can strike. And we know that his chin is a little questionable. You know, we've seen him get KO'd several times. We've seen him get, we've seen him get wobbled several times. And But my thing is, look who those are against. Chad Mendes of the world. The Aldos of the world. The Holloways of the world. The Uri Alcantara's. I mean, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that was like... That's more 20, acceptable yeah, than Danny Castillo. 20, that was 20 years ago, but you know what I'm saying? It's a, Look at the guys he's facing. And, you know, Jason Knight, in my opinion, for example, look at all the prospects at 145 over the last year. 
Duho Choi. He took that beating from uh, Cub Swanson. Uh, Yair Rodriguez against Frankie Edgar had to take that beating. Mirsad Bektik versus Darren Elkins. He had to take his first loss. T City about to T- take that. T City. T City's about to take that beating. <laughs> and you know, and you know, Hanato. Hanato at, at some point he's going to have to take his beating as well. So these top these prospects all have to learn that lesson, and they're generally from these top five, top ten vets that have been, you know, holding their spot in the top ten for years and years and years. And you know, I think that's going to happen here. I I know Jason Knight's got that amazing guard. But I think Lamas is actually going to nullify that, man. I think Lamas is a very smart fighter. He is what he is, you know. He hasn't improved, but he hasn't declined, in my opinion. He's going to, I think he's going to, you know, get in his guard. I think he's going to beat him on the feet as well. I think he's going to run away, you know, throw kicks, land the bigger shots inside the pocket. You know, he has the wrestling advantage, in my opinion. Knight's got some good takedowns, too, but I don't see him taking Lamas down. And I just see Lamas weaseling a decision out. I think he's just going to be the smarter fighter, the more intelligent fighter, the guy that's been in these more experienced situations. Not saying that Knight's experienced, but this is a whole different ball game now. You're not fighting Dan Hooker. You're not fighting a chinny Chas Kelly who sucks at striking. You're not going to—you're not fighting— uh, Jim Allers, uh, you know what I'm saying? This is a whole different ballgame now. But I wouldn't be shocked if Knight rose to the occasion and uh, pulled this win off, man. But if he did, boy, that'd be a huge statement, man. Taking out the number four or five guy in the world. Yeah, look, Ricardo's really damn good. And one thing that he's known for that he doesn't get a lot of credit for are his kicks to the calf, man. Because traditionally, you know, people kick to the thigh. You're used to, you know, you check those kicks. But no one trans checking kicks to the calf, man. And you hear about Jose Aldo, you know, walking with crutches after their fight. And it was 49-46 Aldo. That tells you how hard Ricardo Lamas kicks. You know, I thought Aldo was the, the hard kicker, right? Ricardo Lamas is no damn slouch at all. Even when he watched that fight with Mendez, he was picking apart Mendez until he got caught with the big shot. What I love about Knight is that he's a born fighter and that, you know, you can break this guy's nose. You can smash his orbital. You can do whatever you want to him. He's going to laugh at you. He's going to get back up. He's going to keep fighting. So you have to finish this guy. I mean, you can outpoint him. Kawajiri outpointed him. That was on, you know, a week short notice. But in this spot, man, I, even though I agree with you 100% when you say Ricardo has not declined, I don't think he's de- declined. He is what he is. He's just maintained. Yeah. I feel like he's been the same fighter for the last few years. And... I think the difference here is actually going to be the hunger of Jason Knight. I think it's going to be 1-1 heading into the third, and it's going to come down to who wants it more. And even though Ricardo is the more experienced guy, I do think that Jason's going to push that pace. You know, Ricardo's going to shoot for a takedown, not get it. Jason's going to be like, oh, we shooting takedowns now? You know, he's going to start talking to him a little bit. He's going to start, you know, the, the volume's going to start to add up. And I do think that Jason Knight is going to walk home with a 29-28 unanimous decision. So it's going to be a very good fight. It's going to be a nail-biter. I'm staying away from a bet, obviously. But uh, I, I do have Jason the, the Kid Knight, man. Yeah, man, uh, it's a very tough fight. You know, when it was like, at one point, I think it was like plus 110 Lamas. You know, I was I looked into it, but Knight put that fear in me, man. He's so hungry. He's so determined to get these wins. And he, oh, he that confidence thing, like Conor McGregor, uh, you know, coming up the ranks, that confidence thing is such a hard thing to beat. And like we said, Lamas is what he is. He hasn't declined, but he hasn't improved. So Yeah, and, you know, with Lamas, he'll be winning a lot of his fights, but then he'll get caught, you know. I know this was a long time ago, but Yuri Alcantara, Danny Castillo, and most recently Chad Mendes. Not that Jason Knight is some, you know, KO artist, but the chin of Lamas has been cracked before it can be cracked again. So don't be surprised if Jason does knock him out. That being said, I do think it goes all three. Yeah, and you know, like, the reason why I took Lamas is just look at his losses. They're only to the top guys, and I don't think Jason Knight is a top guy yet. 
And that's what we're going to find out yeah. Saturday night, man. So now it's time for pay-per-view, which I hope all you guys are buying. Support the sport. And, man, you ready for this? Because, look, Volkan Ozdemir, he's going to look to make it three upsets in a row. He's plus 150. And Jimmy Manuel is the number you never bet. He's minus 170. What do you think, man? Is Volkan going to – is third time going to be, you know, a charm? I was going to say the charm, but the first two times were charms as well. Jimmy Manuel has been on quite an impressive – you know, it's, it's a solid streak. You know, he uh, KO'd OSP in devastating, vicious fashion. But let's be honest, Jerry. We know what type of fighter OSP is. He's sloppy. He hasn't improved due to him, you know, probably not switching camps for the last two, three years. We know what OSP is. Last he's a one round. Years. He's a he's a one round. He, he's a one round fighter. He's sloppy. He's all over the place. And then he, you know, he knocks out Corey Anderson in devastating fashion, vicious fashion, KOs him stiff. But we know the chin of Corey. So. You know, a lot of people are putting a lot of... I see a lot of Max Bet Jimmy's, which I don't blame you. He's KO2 guys stiff in vicious, uh, vicious fashion. But me personally, I don't put that much stock into it. I think Volcan would do the same thing to those guys. Volcan beat OSP, and I think he'd KO Corey as well. But that didn't. those fights never happened. I think Volcan's going to do it again, man. I think Jimmy might be... I don't think he's underestimating him by any chance, but I think Jimmy has his eyes on that title. I think he's got that little rivalry going on with Cormier. He, he can almost taste it. And Volkan's that type of guy to just take it from you, man. You know, Misha Serkinov in that fight, going into that fight with uh, Volkan. One fight away, two fights away from the title. Misha's the top prospect at 205. And I feel like an idiot for not betting that. Well, you know, I was taking a little break off anyways, but... You know, plus 300 it was, something like that, 450. 450. And Vulcan goes out there and touches him behind the ear and puts him down face first. So that's the type of guy Vulcan is. He he defies all odds. Coming in on short notice against OSP, the number five guy in the world, and taking it to him for three rounds. And I think it's going to happen again, man. I think he's going to get a late finish here. I know Jimmy has the better power, but I think the longer you let Vulcan gather his confidence, and he's not one of those typical combat club guys. Volcan's a soldier. Henry Hoof doesn't have to tell Volcan not to quit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think he's going to pull off the upset here. I know it's going to be tough. I'm definitely not going to bet on it just because although he's pulled off two upsets, we the jury's still out on him. We still don't know what he's all about. We still, we've seen him in a three-round fight, but like I said, we know what type of guy OSP is. He's sloppy. He's all over the place. I want to see him three rounds against a guy like Manoa who's gone three rounds before as well. And not to mention that most of Jimmy's wins are by, like, TKO injuries. You know what I'm saying? So the jury's still out on him as well. Like I said, Corey and OSP, they're good wins. You know what I'm saying? But those guys aren't top 205ers in my opinion. And uh, I got Volcan by late finish. It's an interesting fight, man, because if you want to be honest about it, both of them only have two impressive wins in the UFC. Exactly. Now, Volcan's only had two fights in the <laughs> UFC, but with Jimmy... You know, even though he looked good in those fights against... Uh, Kingsbury? Yeah. All right, he beat the shit out of Kingsbury, and I forget if Kingsbury quit or if he got he injured. Quit. You know, and then he beat the shit out of Gmo, and Gmo got yeah, injured or quit. close decision with, Black, uh, with Jan. And then Jimmy couldn't even put away Jan Blankovic. He went to a, cl a close decision. A fight where they both wobbled. <laughs> now... They clinched up the whole time. The thing is, Jimmy... Now that he finally does have two highlight reel knockouts under his belt in the UFC, you know, granted one was against Corey Anderson, who, you know, you blow him a kiss and he does the chicken dance. Um, 
So I, I'm not sure how much stock to put into that. And then at the same time, you watch some of Volkan's regional scene fights, and they were kind of ugly too. But he's he's rose to the occasion in the UFC, man. He's putting it all together. You know what I like about his fight with OSP? And it's funny because people will compare it, and they'll only compare the final result. They'll be like, well, look at the knockout. One guy had a knockout, and one guy had a split decision. That's how most people look at it. The way I look at it is... Jimmy lost the first round to OSP. Volkan won the first round to OSP. Jimmy caught him in the second round. Volkan won the second round. And then Volkan maybe lost the third round. And the fight wasn't going that long with Jimmy. Look, every fight is different. MMA math doesn't work. But now these two are going to fight. I hope you're right, bro. Because I just want to see a crazy upset. I want to see some crazy-ass shit happen. I want to see this dude Volkan get three upsets in a row. But my gut's telling me Jimmy Manuel is going to find a way to end that that win streak, catch him, and uh, get his own title shot. Yeah, it's going to be a good fight, man. Jimmy's one fight away, and if Vulcan wins this, he's right there as well. Next up, we got one of your favorite fighters, Donald Cerrone. <laughs> 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 he's plus 135. The, I was about to say the comeback, but Robbie Lawler is minus 155. What do you think, man? It's a very good fight. You know, Robbie, if you guys don't know, you know, he left ATT. Now he's with Henry Hoof at Combat Club. And, you know, I'm sure they are emphasizing that left kick to the body, the left straights to the body, all the body attacks. And, you know, Cerrone, he is what he is. You know, he's got that. He, he can. He's, he's well-rounded. He can do everything. But he's coming off a devastating ass whooping from two devastating ass whoopings. And Jorge Masvidal, I mean, that was a life changer right there. When what? Show me better body shooting in the in the history of the game. When when you when you get your body butchered to the point of that, you know what I'm saying? So I gotta go with Lawler in this one. But I am I'm not gonna bet on this fight. I'm gonna enjoy it as a fan. I definitely think Cerrone could take it just because who knows where Robbie's head's at, you know? He's the champion, you know, he goes out there, gets knocked out by T Wood in the first round. And we know he's gonna get that, you know, six figure show money and he's switching camps and the, you know, let's let's see him let's see him win this fight first before we make any judgments. Um, but you know, I think I think Cerrone's on his way out. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I think Cerrone's on his way out. The guy's made so much money doing this, and in that George fight, I feel like his body's had enough at this point, man. I knocked uh, out twice in that exactly. fight. Exactly, he got knocked out two times. So, I I think he's on his way out, and uh, I, but I can't say that Robbie's not on his way out as well. So. I'm gonna go with Robbie just because I think he's too strong, and we knows what ha we know what happens when Cerrone faces these real fighters, these southpaws. Uh, most of his losses are to southpaws, and we know when Cerrone doesn't have that mental edge on you, when he he generally loses these fights. Rafael dos Anjos, uh, Showtime Pettis, uh, Jorge Masvidal. You know, so I'm gonna go with Robbie. I think he's gonna land a left kick to the body, and then you know finish him up with a overhand left but i i wouldn't be shocked if cerrone you know high kicked him to the head and knocked him out or won a decision here cerrone's very educated he can point fight as well even though most of his fights in and finish and uh it's gonna be a good fight arguably fight of the night you know I, i've been breaking down cowboy cerrone fights for years and his fights are actually the easiest to call and the reason why is because if you're not in the top five he'll absolutely destroy you and if you are in the top five you'll absolutely destroy him well, Robbie Lawler is in the top five, so, you know, based on Cerrone's history, he's going to get finished in this fight. But fights aren't contested on paper, as you know, and Robbie Lawler has been in a shit ton of wars. Not just the two Hendricks fights, the two Rory fights, the Condit fight, taking that damage against Woodley, even against Nick Diaz yeah, fucking bro. 15 years ago. 
Matt Brown. I mean, it adds up and all the strike force wars. So it's one of those things where I was actually looking at the fight doesn't go the distance prop. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, all of Lawler's fights basically go to the fifth round. So why the fuck would I play that? This is a three round fight. But at the same time, these southpaws with educated body kicks with serious pressure, they always give cowboy problems. You know, Evan Dunham's a southpaw, but he doesn't have pressure. That's why I done uh, that's why Cowboy beat the fuck out of him. But you saw Cowboy straight quit the second time he fought RDA. And we know for a fact if Kelvin fought Cowboy, that would have been a massacre. So if Robbie's got his head on straight, man, I see him just walking Cowboy if. down yeah. and knocking him out. But that's a big if, man, because he leaves the gym that brought him to the belt. And the reason he left was because, so he lost his belt to, to Woodley, right? And, you know, Woodley is apparently ATT, even though he never goes to ATT. He was Rufus Sport when he won the belt. So Robbie walks back into ATT after losing his belt, and then he, see, he sees a big picture of Woodley on the wall. So, of course, he left ATT, you know what I'm saying, man? But now he's with Henry Hooft. And it's going to be interesting if, uh, you know, is Robbie just showing up to get that six-figure paycheck, or is he hungry to go out there and win the belt again? It, it all comes down to that because we've seen what a non-motivated Robbie Lawler looks like. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, Go watch any of his fights in Strike Force. Go watch him shadow box around Tim Kennedy for three rounds. Go watch him shadow box around Baba Lou for three rounds. That's what an unmotivated Robbie Lawler looks like. So if he comes out there and doesn't throw a strike and is just, you know, using a bunch of footwork, not throwing shit, don't be surprised. However, if he is motivated, if he does have that fire in him, I think he's going to run through Cerrone. So, you know, it's just about rolling the dice and seeing which guy you're going to get because if Robbie's not on his game, Cowboy has a very sneaky high kick, and we saw Robbie get rocked with that high kick against Rory, against Condit. So Robbie can be put on a – He can do the chicken nets. Don't make, make no mistake about it, but with Cowboy, you kick him to the body, he starts making faces, and he's not very confident when someone attacks him right out the gate very hard. So Robbie's got to do that. If Robbie comes out here with the right game plan, he's putting Cowboy away in the first round, but if he's unmotivated – it could get sketchy and Cowboy could catch him. So I got to pick one. I'm going to pick a motivated Robbie Lawler to finish Cowboy Cerrone. Now, man, we have a minus 1375 favorite on the card as well, Shaq, <laughs> because uh, Cyborg is taking on Tanya Evinger, who's plus 900. So, you know, I would assume we're going to pick the minus 1375, but let's talk about the real issue here. Will the fight start round two? You know, that's the prop I was looking at. And, you know, I got burned uh, uh Cyborg versus Leslie Smith. I took that shot to see if Leslie... You know, I I lost on that shot on Leslie Smith trying to make it to the second round. And, you know, I'm going to stay away from it, man, because it's not a... It's not a I don't know much about Evinger. I mean, when you're fighting these jobbers in Evicta, you can easily look good. And she lost one. Uh, she got armbarred, but it got changed to a no contest. So, chicks in Invicta can compete with her you know what i'm saying and cyborg i mean she's a freak man when she hits chicks these chicks are already scared of her going and she's big she looks no offense to her she's a great fighter but she looks like she's <laughs> she you know i mean you know what she looks like man she hits like a guy and these chicks are scared of her man and i don't see anything changing i think she's gonna go out here touch her up and you know get her out of here in the first but i wouldn't be shocked if tanya made it to the second she strikes me as a very tough chick and uh, I just don't see anything she has for her. Cyborg has the advantage everywhere. 
I hope it goes past one and a half rounds just so people can sweat. And uh, But look, Evinger, you know, off her back, she does attack with submissions. I just think all that's going to be neutralized, not to mention she's a natural bantamweight. Cyborg's a natural fucking welterweight. You know what I'm saying, <laughs> bro? So, uh, yeah, I would imagine Cyborg puts her away early, but I do hope that it gets sweaty because you should not be parlaying minus 1375 favorites if you're sharp. Now, here we go. You ready? Shit's about to get real here. Now, I bet people that parlayed Cyborg are going to say they hope this one gets sweaty for me. <laughs> and you know what, man? I kind of hope it does because there's nothing like earning that win. You know what I mean? Something about... Like, remember when Zaleski got that split, even though we thought he won every round? Yeah. There's something about earning that split decision I really like in this gambling game, especially when it's a plus 180 dog. But here it's not a plus 180 dog. Here it's minus 200 with the comeback on Damian Maya at plus 175. And, man, Damian Maya, talk about defying the odds. You know, I've been, <laughs> I've been picking against this guy for a long time and getting it wrong almost every time. But I think that finally... Hopefully, I might get it right this time. Is Damien going to backpack uh, the T-Wood? You know, I stayed away from it just for that fact right there. You know, I couldn't find anyone to parlay T-Wood with. I do think T-Wood is just a horrible matchup for him. I kind of see this fight going similar to the Dunga and Kim fight. You know, I think Damien shoots and he gets stuffed very easily early, and Tyron's pressure is just too much. You know, when you're... I thought Damien arguably lost to Jorge. I mean, anytime they were in standing exchanges, Jorge was fucking him up every single time with the leg kicks. And, you know, Damien just backpacked him, had that top control. And, you know, George, who really is a 55er and nowhere near. We bet George, though. We, yeah, but I, I didn't bet George. But, you know. I bet George. <laughs> you know, I thought George was going to win the fight. But Tyron's just a different level when it comes when it comes to you know physical strength i mean just look at him you know we saw him in the hotel when he uh fought robbie and i mean that dude's huge he's cocked and you know i think he's gonna stuff the takedown and knock damien out in the first round but i stayed away because damien maya is damien maya you have to respect what if he does get on top oh shit now you're in fucking trouble because we know the cardio if tyron gets gassed out we know what happens when tyron gets gassed out he backs into the fence and backing into the fence against damien maya is you're asking to lose. You're going to get taken down and you're going to get subbed. So, you know, I stayed away uh, stayed away from it. And I couldn't find anyone to uh, parlay T-Wood with. I wasn't going to force it with Jones or, you know, someone else or Dober, for example. So, you know, uh, I, I'm going to go with T-Wood, but I'm definitely going to pass. But I, I got him by first round KO. I got T-Wood as well, man. Now, T-Wood has a very high takedown defense. The only person to take him down in the UFC is Rory McDonald and... You know, Rory did it by by, him first, yeah. by flustering him badly the first two rounds before he took him down in the third. Now, T-Wood backs himself into the fence every single fight, and it's going to happen here too. But the reason why it might kind of actually be a good thing is because the fence is kind of – it's like another leg for takedown defense. You can balance on the fence and use that to defend takedowns instead of you know being in the center and having nothing to lean on. And I think that's kind of what Woodley does. He kind of feels a sense of comfort against that fence and also he's able to explode as you've seen with many of his knockouts they've come when he's been up against the fence as you know the Koshek knockout for example that's the first one that comes off the top of my head the way he closes the distance I've never seen anyone close the distance as fast as explosive as dynamic as T would but I've also never seen anyone backpack grown men the way that Damian Maya does Damian Maya he kind of looks like a Brazilian Johnny Depp you know what I'm saying bro he looks like a The captain from Pirates, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and like the main reason why I passed, if Damien get on top, the fight could arguably be over. Not saying that he's going to sub him, but when he rides out that top control, then 
Fuck, you're hoping on a KO now. Yeah, I'm definitely hoping on a KO. But look, when you've seen when you've seen Woodley with similar opponents to mine, not that there's any similar opponents, but I would say Jake Shields is somewhat similar. You know, Woodley stuffed all the takedowns. He argu- you know, he did lose the fight officially, but he arguably won that fight. But that was a fight where he learned from his mistakes, and since that point, he's gone on to win the championship. And you know, he has gone five rounds more than once and been just as fresh in the fifth round as he was in the first, as you saw in the Wonderboy fight when he dropped Wonderboy in that fifth and final round. Now, with Maya, he historically gasses the later that fights go on. You remember that 10-8 round when Ryan LaFleur 10-8'd him in the in the fifth round, he starts flopping to his back. You remember the Rory McDonald fight. You know, he wins the first round, then the second and third round, he's the fucking Zombie, he's the walking mummy. So uh, one fight that I think is really important to watch is a fight between Tyron Woodley and Andre Galvo because even though Andre Galvo is short and he's orthodox, you know, he's got a serious jiu-jitsu pedigree and, and you know it's somewhat comparable to Damian Maya and I'm pretty damn sure his game plan was the same as Damian Maya so what Woodley would do in that fight was you know every he would obviously stuff the takedowns his sprawl was incredible but what happens is these jiu-jitsu guys try to get half guard because they like to get that deep half and they like to go for a sweep from there or use it to take the back Whenever Andre Galvo would try to get that that half guard, Woodley wouldn't stay there and be like, yeah, you know what, I'm heavy on top, I can neutralize your guard. He'd be like, fuck this, stand back up with me. And the fundamental mistake that cost Jorge Masvidal the fight was that he engaged in Damian Maya's half guard because Damian Maya would try to take down Jorge and Jorge would stuff every single takedown. But then Maya pulls guard, gets into that half guard and Jorge, he thought he was safe in that half guard, and that's when Maya was able to take his back. It was just a simple error that Jorge Masvidal made, and I don't believe that that Tyron Woodley's going to make that same mistake. It's a very simple error. So if T. Wood goes out there, he stuffs these takedowns, and then as soon as, because, you know, Maya's chaining the takedowns like a motherfucker. That's what he does. As soon as Maya is unsuccessful with those takedowns and he starts to pull the half guard, that's going to be the moment of the fight where we say, all right, T-Wood, you got to get up right now. If T-Wood stays in his half guard, that's when I walk away you know, from the screen. That's when I throw the remote at the screen and walk away. However, if T-Wood does what I think he's going to do, what I know he's capable of doing, when Maya tries to get that half guard, that's when we stand back up and make him try again. If we do that, it's smooth sailing and we knock him out in one. So it, it all comes down to that, man. But I do think T-Wood's smart enough to do that. I think T-Wood... I love T-Wood, man. I know a lot of people love to hate him. Maybe that's why I like him so much, because he's not a very light champion, but I like him a lot. I think he's one of the most underrated champions in the UFC, not just in terms of his physical abilities, but I think he's one of the smartest guys in the UFC. I think the dude's brilliant, and he knows how to win fights. He knows how to use his physical gifts to his advantage. I think he's going to do that here. I think he's going to knock out the very tough, very dangerous, very respectable Damian Maya, and it's going to all be because of the simple key fact when Maya tries to get that half guard, Woodley's not going to let him. If I'm wrong and Woodley lets him get that half guard, then hey, I'll take my L like a man, like I always do. You've never heard me cry about an L. But I fully expect on cashing this, man. I, I don't think Woodley's dumb enough to play in this dude's half guard. So, four units, Woodley Moikana, plus 157. Let's fucking get it. Yeah, man, I agree, and I hope that bet cashes for you. Yeah, I, I hope so too, man. But what, what do you think about this reasoning? Because... When you see Maya chain these takedowns together, you know, 
people have been able to stuff it kind of like Jorge did. It's just that when you engage in his half guard because you think you're safe there, that's when you're really fucked. And I, I just think T-Wood's too smart for that. Yeah, well, in that third round, you know, in the Jorge fight when it was one-to-one, I think Damian ended up catching a kick or something like that. And they, you know, went all the way from one side of the fence to the other. Jorge stuffed as long as he could, but once they hit the fence... He took that back, got that hook in, you know, ride it out that top control. But, you know, I think T-Wood's just a little bit too physically strong. I definitely I definitely understand that parlay. But, you know, I had Moicano at a lower line to play enough straight. So, you know, I just took that. And, you know, lately all my parlays have been hitting. So, you know, I honestly I figured out my luck was probably going to run out if I tried to do it again. So, you know, I just kept it with Moicano. But, uh, I, like you said, I got T-Wood. Look, I understand the risk, and I understand there's a good chance Moicano wins and then T-Wood loses, and I'm going to be really pissed off because, you know, it is my policy to, to not do parlays and to play shit straight. But I'm rolling the dice here, man, because I was either going to do four units straight on Moicano and then four units straight on Woodley, have an eight-unit risk. I'm, I'm cutting my risk in half now. However, I'm cutting my risk in half in terms of amount risk, but in terms of the actual outcomes, both have to hit for me to win. So... We'll see what happens, man. It's going to be very intriguing. Yeah. I cannot wait to sweat this one out, but I cannot wait to sweat this one out coming out a winner. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I'm saying, man? That's the best. But speaking of the best, Johnny Bones Jones. Wow. He's right He's right in max range, my man. He's minus 250. The comeback on Daniel DC Cormier is plus 230. And, uh, man, the first time they fought, I did max bet John Jones. It was, you know, 4-1, to one, arguably 5 nothing. It was a one-sided fight, and now they meet again, but DC is actually the champion now. Yeah, John Jones is the number one or number two greatest fighter of all time, in my opinion. And, you know, going into that first fight, DC on paper had the wrestling advantage, but when they got in there, Jones out-wrestled him. And rather easily, you know, DC had a couple nice takedowns, but Jones popped up every single time. And, you know, my thing with Jones is, you know, eventually there will be someone to catch him on the inside when he reaches out and tries to hand fight. Someone will catch him with a big hook one of these days. You know, I think, I thought it was going to be Rumble Johnson, but, you know, unfortunately he, he, he quits a lot, you know. He quit uh, the sport. <laughs> he quit the sport. But uh, I don't think DC has the one-punch knockout power to do that to him. And I just think John is just going to do what he always does, edge out every single round, win 49-46. I think he's going to take down Cormier. I think he's going to get up if Cormier takes him down very quickly. And I just see him landing those elbows, landing those uh, side kicks to the knees, just landing the typical John Jones arsenal, man. And uh, he's going to prove that he's the greatest fighter of all time. I really want to talk about this John Jones versus OSP fight because people shit all over John Jones for that fight. But Shaq, since we you know break down every single card, we watch... You know, every single fighter on every single car, we watched thousands upon thousands of fights, right? So when it finally came down to watching Jones versus OSP again, you know, going into it, I'm like, yeah, you know, Jones looked like shit, this and that. But then I watch it, I'm like, this motherfucker's damn good, man. You know, because we've been watching thousands upon thousands of fighters, and then you get the chance to watch a John Jones fight, and you're reminded how damn good he is. You're reminded why he is the best fighter, pound for pound. On planet Earth, don't give me no Demetrius Johnson shit. John Jones is the number one pound for pound fighter. I don't think it's even debatable. I personally don't even think Demetrius is top five pound for pound, but that's a discussion for another time. I I hope you guys give me shit for that, even though I'm right. Now, <laughs> as far as this is concerned, man, 
Jones fucking worked OSP every single round, man. He didn't take any unnecessary risks. He did whatever he wanted to. He took, what, three punches the entire fight? Three punches in a UFC championship level fight? You know what I'm saying? Like, that was, it was an easy performance, man. And it was also one of those things where he was training to, to fight DC. It was a late switch up, man. And it's a completely different body type. So he kind of just coasted and got the win. But he's fully prepared for DC. I feel like we're going to see things we didn't see in that OSP fight. And look, he's got a 12 inch reach advantage. You know that, Shaq? 12 inch reach advantage? But more importantly, he uses that 12-inch reach advantage, whether it's the jab, whether it's the eye poke. Yeah, hey, you do whatever you can. You get two warnings, so take advantage of those two warnings, get two eye pokes in, kick him in the balls one time, get a warning, and then we start kicking his knee. Then we start kicking his thigh. Then we take down the Olympic wrestler because, look, John Jones took him down like five times. Remember when he took him down like three times in a row, that first fight, how humiliating that was for someone on the caliber of Daniel Cormier. I'm a huge Cormier fan. I like the fact that he is the little guy in the division and he's the champ and the way he closes the distance. You know, he's got the reach of a... Cormier's got a 72-inch reach. You know, there's... Shane Burgo's got a larger reach than him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, dude? So uh, I like how he closes the distance. I like how he lands big bombs. I like how he changes his takedowns. And the dude's tough as fuck. I mean, we've seen him get dropped by Gustafsson. We've seen uh, him take a big head kick by Rumble Johnson and just come forward and, and win the fight. The thing is, Jones has him outmatched everywhere, and Jones is just as tough, if not tougher. I'll say tougher because when it came time to embrace the grind in the fourth and fifth round of their last fight, Jones was the one that did it, man. Now, you know, we can talk about all the outside the cage issues. I'm not convinced Jones was a victim of USADA like DC's trying to say he was. I don't really think that's the case. I think the dude, you know, he likes to smoke weed. What's the big deal? And he likes to do a little coke every now and then, man. I mean... Honestly, what's the fucking big deal? It's not like he's doing it every day. If he was doing it every day, there's no chance he'd be performing like he performs, man. But, you know, when you're as rich as he is, when you're crashing Bentleys, when, you know, people are offering you Coke at a party, okay. And then the next weekend he goes out there and, and he whoops DC. So I don't really hold any of that shit against him, man. You know, maybe the hit and run, you know, you could have dealt with that a little better. But uh, as far as the fighting, man, he's the best fighter on planet Earth. I'm here to watch people fight. I'm not here to fucking be a white knight and be like, oh, but he doesn't, you know, oh, but he smokes pot. Oh, but he cusses. Oh, but he does this and that. I don't give a fuck. I want to know who the best fighter is. Fist fight on a Saturday night inside a steel cage. John Jones is the best fighter on the planet. That's what I'm tuning in for. I want to see real men fight. That's what John Jones is, and I think he's going to get it done. Late submission. I think he's going to submit the Olympian, something that's never been done and will probably never be done ever again. Look, it's probably going to go the distance. We both know that. <laughs> but I want to be bold and go on record and predict a finish for the greatest of all time, John Jones, or as my friends in Brazil would say, John Jonas. So I got John Jones here, man. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And uh, if John wins this fight, man, he's the greatest of all time. He, he already he's is. Neck, he's neck and neck. With, but let's uh, let's wait for McGregor to come back and see oh, how yeah. he how he does. Them two are you know my one and two pound for pound, and uh, those two are competing for the greatest of all time. And you're right, DJ is not top five pound for pound. Chris Carriasso, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about it another I mean, time. When you're fighting Wilson Hayes, Chris Carriasso, Horiguchi, Bogantinov, like Elliott. Tim Elliott, like come on, bro. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I gotta say about that. But. I do need some DraftKings advice, so let's hit up uh, Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, how's it going? Oh, man. Not bad at all. I'm ready for this fight. Can't wait to see John Jones back in action. You know, I actually had 
a good card last week, but one fight that I got wrong that you got very, very right is the All-American Chris Weidman, man. It's a good pick, huh? Yeah, I cleaned up last week. I did pretty well, uh, and that was a big part of it. Chris Weidman killing it with uh, how many points? He 113 points, and he's wow. only 30% owned in big contest. That's a good play. <laughs> yeah, Weidman definitely came through for you. I didn't see that happening at all, man. And uh, But you know what? Zaleski and Jimmy saved my night. Nice. So, yeah, stepping it up. Next week you'll do even better. Or, well, this week you'll do even better. And then just keep getting better, man. The more you play, the more you learn. That's right. And, you know, we're going to talk about John Jones. We're going to talk about Tyron Woodley. We're going to talk about all these great fighters. But something that really stood out to me, Kyle, and I want your opinion on this, man, is that – there's a fight between Drew Dober and Josh Berkman, and you know normally I would stay very far away from this fight, but normally I'd also assume that a fight between Drew Dober and Josh Berkman is a dead pick'em, right? Well, they currently got Drew Dober minus 360 with a comeback on Josh Berkman at plus 300, which I think is very off, man. You think uh, Josh Berkman might be worth a look here? I think he is. Yeah, I think that line is way too wide. I don't know. I mean, I don't think Dober should be minus 360 against anybody, to tell you the truth. Um, I mean, I get it. Berkman's on the end of his career, um, and most likely he doesn't win the fight, but I wouldn't say minus 360 most likely. So, yeah, if I'm taking a shot on this fight, it's going to be Berkman. However, I don't really care for this fight in general uh, from a DraftKings perspective just because if if Berkman wins, I mean, that you, that's what you want is takedowns, but he just does not score highly. I think in his one win, he had 77 points. So it's just it's not very good. Um, but at the same time, if he gets Dober down for a round, then that takes away from the points that Dober could score in a win. So I don't really like either of them, but if I had to choose a side, I'm going Berkman. And for the fans, bear with us. We're going to get to the exciting fights here in a second. But Kyle, look, there's this kid named Jared Brooks. And from what I've seen on the regional scene, this kid can wrestle his ass off. We know takedown score big points in DraftKings. He's fighting a guy in Eric Shelton who he's very talented, he's very athletic, but his one downfall is the takedown defense. Are we looking to put Jared Brooks on our lineup? I do like Brooks. Um, I like this fight in general. Unlike the last one, I like both of these guys. So if you think Shelton's going to win, he has to be in your lineup because I think this is going to be a, a good fight, a lot of ground scrambles which is what we like. And uh, if I'm picking a side, I like, as you said, Brooks, because he's the wrestler. I love the wrestlers and DraftKings. Um, but he's never he's never faced anybody like Sheldon yet. So what's throwing me off is the betting line, because Brooks is now minus 150, but Albu and Muikano are below him, and they're both 150 and minus 165. So it's kind of taken me away from Brooks just more onto those two for the betting line. However, I mean, they're not going to get as many takedowns as Brooks is. If, if he wins, he's going to get a lot of points, and I like that. Jason the Kid Knight, look, he's taking a step up in competition fighting the vet Ricardo Lamas. But before before I ask you your opinion on this, can you confirm with me that Jason Knight's been a very high DraftKings scorer throughout his UFC career? Uh, every fight, he scored more than the previous fight. So in his first win, he scored 73 over Allers, 83 over Hookers, uh, Hooker, uh, 102 over Caceres, and then in his last fight, 108 over Skelly. So that's that's decent. Definitely in those last two over 100, that's what you love to see in the GPP. So uh, I do not hate this play at all. I'm going to be on both sides of the fight. I, 
I keep going back and forth with my pick, but right now I'm leaning towards night. So I think I will have quite a few night lineups. However, if you're throwing in multiple lineups, I would not hate if you're doing one lineup, throw in night, and then do the exact same lineup, but with Lamas instead. So you guaranteed the winner of that fight in one of them. And if it scores high, maybe you're going to win a GPP. Look, Lamas, he's a grizzled vet. We know that. He's been in there with everyone. He wins most of the fights he's in, but the times that he has lost, I mean, we're talking devastating, vicious knockouts against Yuri Alcantara, against Danny Castillo, against Chad Mendes. So you could be looking at a Jason the Kid Knight knockout victory here, and if you said that every single time he scored more points, I would assume knocking out Ricardo Lamas as an underdog would score more than 108 points. Yeah, it could very well could, if, especially if it's like first round. If he gets the knockdown to go with the knockout, the knockdown is 10 points. First round is 90 points. So then it's just all a significant strike are added on top of that. So I can see it being more than 108 if you can get that knockout. I just, oh man, I don't see it being a knockout. I think this is just going to be a good three-round fight, a little bit of back and forth. Uh, but if you're right, yeah, you better be putting night on your team. Now, Donald Cerrone's fighting Robbie Lawler. Look, on paper, someone's getting knocked out, but obviously fights aren't contested on paper. Are you putting both guys in separate lineups, or do you have a lean a certain way? Uh, I'm actually leaning more towards Cerrone um, because he's the underdog. Lawler is 8,500 on DraftKings, and he just does not score very highly. He hasn't scored over 102, uh, over 100 points since the Volker fight. Um, and then let's see. McDonald, 73, Hendricks, 75, Ellenberger, 94, Brown, 86, Hendricks, 88, McDonald, 85, and then Condit, 86. So it's just I want more than 100 points if I'm going to get somebody that's that expensive. So I would rather have Cerrone, who I know is always going to put up high points if he scores. And, I mean, I don't know if if Lawler's on the same supplements he was when he was on his crazy run. So – uh, that also makes me want to lead towards Cerrone a little bit more, and he's uh, 7,700 on DraftKings. So if you're going to pick some underdogs on this card, I like Cerrone to be one of them. Well, you got to fight between Jimmy Manoa and Volkan Ozdemir, and the way both of these guys have been fighting lately, none of their fights are going the distance. They're uh, knocking their opponents out. I would assume one of them is getting knocked out. The question is, where's the value here? The value is on Ozdemir, which is really throwing me off because I like Manuel quite a bit. I think he gets a knockout. I've not been too impressed with Ozdemir. I was on him over OSP, uh, OSP just because I'm not too impressed with OSP either. But that was pretty much just a sloppy win. And then his win over Serkinov was more of a fluke. Like, Serkinov must have been knocked out in training the week before because he barely got touched. It was ridiculous. However, he's $7,400 on DraftKings. And if he wins, I mean... He's been scoring a lot of points, so if he wins, he's going to score real high, and that's what you want on your team. Uh, and Manu was always – he's up at 8,800, so he has to get the knockout if he's going to score highly. That's the difference, and that's what's making me not get as much manual as I planned on is what the betting line is looked at. Yeah, looking like right now. Um, let me see. Ozemir plus 150. Yeah, that's way better than everyone down there in his range. So he might actually make a few of my lineups, even though I don't really like him too much in this fight. Now, Tyron Woodley versus Damian Maya, this could also be one of those cases where you put both guys on different lineups because if Tyron Woodley wins this fight, I would assume he's going to knock out Damian Maya in the first round, but we know when, when Maya wins fights, he backpacks people, he gets a crazy amount of takedowns, so what are you doing with this one? 
I actually like Woodley quite a bit. I think you're right. I think you will get that knockout. Uh, I was on Maya in his last fight. Glad I got the win, but I just don't see him doing that against Woodley. I think it'll be too much. I don't think he'll, he'll get him down, but I am worried about the backpacking, uh, which doesn't really score any points in DraftKings because he's not getting that takedown with a backpack. Um, however, I, if I'm making, let's say, 10 lineups, I do want Maya and maybe one or two just in case he does get that submission early. But I'm taking a stand on this. I like Woodley, and I like Woodley early, so he'll be in quite a few of my lineups. Well, I'm with you from a betting perspective, man, so I hope we're right on that. Now, before we talk about the main event, are you looking at all at someone like Burrell, maybe our boy Moicano, or even an intriguing featherweight matchup between Andre Feely and the newcomer Calvin Cater? Uh, the Burrell-Sterling fight, I think, is a fade. Either way, I don't think either guy scores very highly in a win, so I would fade it altogether. Um, let's see here. Moicano, I like I think I would rather bet him. I do like him to win, but I was looking at his stats today from previous fights, and he's just not scoring very highly. So I don't know how much he'll score in this fight, which is throwing me off, but I do think he wins, and his price is not too crazy. So he'll be in some of my lineups. I'm just not sure how many yet. And then, yeah, I'm really uh, intrigued in that Feely uh, cat Catar Qatar fight. Cater. Um, Cater fight. Um, just because... I don't know enough about Cater, but I think the betting line is a little bit too wide on that. Um, with Feely being minus 380, we just haven't seen enough of Cater. So I don't know if that minus 380 is warranted when you got guys like John Jones that are minus 255 and cheaper on drafting. That, that's a very good point, man. Now, when we talk about a guy like John Jones, we're talking about the greatest of all time. But his last however many fights have gone the distance. That being said, man, does he score a lot of points when it goes the distance? Yeah, I think uh, the least amount of points he's ever scored is like 88 wow. or something like that. Um, and, I, I mean, I'm going to say right now, like you say, it's max bet season. I'm all in on John Jones this week, especially from a betting standpoint. But the thing about it with DraftKings is if you're playing in those huge tournaments, like the main one, the $8 that 29,000 people are in, he's probably going to be 50% owned. So that's 15,000 lineups with John Jones. So you kind of might want to differentiate yourself when it comes to those bigger tournaments. But I like John Jones to score over 100 points. So he's for sure going to be on my cash team. Uh, if he loses, he's still going to put up a whole bunch of points. But I do not see him losing. Uh, it's just those bigger tournaments where ownership comes into play. Those are the ones you might want to stay away from them. Well, Kyle, before I let you go, man, any, anything I'm missing, anything I'm leaving out? Uh, just the the scariest person on the card, Cyborg. I think uh, Avenger is probably a fade for me, but Cyborg, I don't know how she does not score over 100 points, obviously, and she is by far the biggest favorite on the card. I'm uh, I'm thinking she's a lock for cash as well. The only problem is you're going to have to go with one of those underdogs down low. So I, I would not fade Cyborg this week just because of the price. I think she'll pay it off. Um and probably score more points than anybody else on the card. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about a minus 1375 favorite here, Kyle. I know, that's what we want on DraftKings. We're not talking about betting, we're talking about DraftKings. What's only 9600 on DraftKings. That ain't too bad, right? That's only $400 more than Feely. I don't see why you'd want to play Feely when you can just go up 400 bucks, get Cyborg. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying, man. Well, Kyle, 
It's been a pleasure as always. I uh, slowly but surely my draft game, my DraftKings game is being stepped up. I appreciate all the help as always, man. And the fans have been hitting me up. They love the Big Marley Minute because even when I'm wrong, you know the rarity that that happens, right, Kyle? No, but even when I'm wrong and I'm picking Kelvin Gastelum and Taru, I got Kyle Marley over here picking Gray Maynard and Chris Wadman. So I really appreciate it, my man. No matter what, someone is winning on half the battle. The fans can follow you. At Big Marley 3. Kyle, it's always a pleasure. Uh, anything else you want to tell the fans before we talk next week? Um, yeah, if you want to try and win Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather tickets, there's a $20 contest on DraftKings. So if you can win that tournament, you can go to the fight. Uh, it's worth, I think, over $12,000. So it's definitely worth taking the shot. Hey. Yeah, if I don't win it, I hope somebody listening to the show does. What tournament? MMA just for this weekend? Yep, yep. This week, you go to MMA. Uh, and then it's, I think, the second one on the list. It's called Fight of the Decade in Las Vegas. $20 entry. Um, and then it'll get you, let's see here. Yeah, it'll get you two tickets, which is about, it's like a $10,000 value. And then they also give you 2500 bucks for air and hotel fees. So and how many people enter that? Deal. Uh, 1117 <laughs> yep, Yeah, I mean, yep, it is yep. a long show. You're going to have to, you're going to have to go contrarian somewhere, but. I cleaned up last week, and I beat a lot more people than that. So it's not impossible, guys. You can make it happen. Twenty bucks could put you in that fight. But man, twenty bucks—you know—it sounds like uh like too good to be true because I'm going to be in there competing with the Sharks, Kyle Marley, with Sun Tzu, with all these, with the real DraftKings players. <laughs> hey, man! Anybody can win it. You know what you're talking about. You can beat us for sure. <laughs> well. Next time we speak, I will be in the executive suite at Mayweather McGregor, my friend, uh, after I win this $20 tournament this this weekend. Kyle, always appreciated. I appreciate the time, my man, and uh, we'll talk next week, bro. All right, man. Good luck. And, man, if we enter this 1,000-person DraftKings pool and we win it, man, we could be front row at Mayweather, Meg <laughs> at Mayweather McGregor. Yeah, but you got a 1 in 1,000 chance to win, so uh... – but hey, it is what it is. But uh, Kyle, you know, is in the position that he—he's very—he's not lucky. He earned that position that he's in, so uh, that's why he's uh, the DraftKings man. Yeah, that's why he's on half the battle. So Shaq, we gotta talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So UFC 214, what is the fight to watch, man? The fight to watch for me is gonna be Donald Cerrone versus Robbie Lawler. Now, Dan, I know you know me. You know, I, I love to see Cerrone take a good ass whooping. No, no offense to him, but uh, it is what it is. And, you know, I'm interested to see what type of Robbie Lawler uh, shows back up, man. After taking that L and, you know, the fights leading up to that, I want to see I want to see what type of uh, mental state he's in. I want to see if he's showing up for that paycheck or if or he's coming to fight for real, for real. And, you know, Cerrone... I, I, to be honest, I think his career is on the line. If he if he loses this, I mean, where does he go? I mean, he's always going to be in entertaining fights, but if he loses this in devastating fashion, I wouldn't be surprised if he hung it up. I mean, this guy has got he's accomplished everything. He's made all the money in the world, and uh, and just from a fan you know standpoint, these two are the, one of two of the most exciting fighters to ever do it. And Robbie's got vicious power, and Cerrone always has that intangible for landing the out-of-nowhere high kick or just having a great all-around performance. So uh, that's going to be my fight, fight to watch. Yeah, I mean, when you got Robbie Lawler and Donald Cowboy Cerrone throwing down, that's obviously one of the fights to watch because you know it's going to be super violent. 
I know they're friends, but you know, with certain guys, it doesn't matter if they're friends. You know, because T Wood and Robbie were friends too, and you saw how vicious that one went down. So yeah, I do think that's definitely one of your fights to watch. But for me, you know, aside from the main event, I gotta go with Jason the Kid Knight versus Ricardo Lamas. Tell me when there's been one boring Jason the Kid Knight fight. I mean, this he has a chance here. If he goes out there and beats a guy in Ricardo Lamas, I mean, we're talking about a future star, man, because you know, he's been jumping up the rankings like no one's business, and it's only a certain select few that can get a win over a guy as good and as tough as Ricardo Lamas. So if Jason can do that, watch out. But if Ricardo goes out there and beats Jason Knight, that'll show that, hey, man, he's hungry. He's he's right back in there to beat a very you know young and tough up-and-comer such as Jason Knight. That would do wonders for Ricardo Lamas. So that's my fight to watch. Now, Shaq. Who is your fighter to watch for UFC 214? My fighter to watch is Sinatoy Maikano. You know, he's my only bet on the card. And like I said, I think he's the top prospect at 145 pounds. And I think he's a future top contender. I think this guy's going to be in a title fight in about a year. Like I said, he has no holes in his game. Tell me one hole he has. He's proven to me he's comfortable everywhere, moving back, moving forwards, on the ground. And I just think he's going to outclass Ortega in every aspect of the game. And I hope you're right because there's money on the line. Exactly. Now, my fighter to watch is the champ, Tyron T. Wood Woodley. I think he's one of the most underrated and disrespected champions in the entire sport. I feel like people don't really get him in terms of his fighting style and his personality outside the cage. I like him a lot, man. He's he actually, I think he's actually a really funny dude and people don't really get his sense of humor. You know, people try to act like, like he ducks fights. He just fought Wonder Boy twice. Now he's fighting... Damian Maya. Before that, he fought Robbie Lawler. Before that, he fought Carlos Condit. Tyron Woodley ain't ducking anybody. He's fighting all the best guys on planet Earth. And and I really think he's one of the most disrespected champions on the planet. And I think he goes out there and knocks out Damian Maya. He might finally start to get the respect that he deserves. So for that reason, Tyron Woodley is your fighter to watch. Now, Shaq, we did it, man. UFC 214 It's going down this Saturday, live on pay-per-view, Anaheim, California. I can't wait, man. Yeah, man, I can't wait. You know, uh, I hope my bet wins. I'm very confident. I'm confident yours is going to win as well. And uh, we're going to be uh, doing a lot of high-fiving and <laughs> boas and ESO. So uh, I think uh, it's going to be a good night. It's going to be a good night indeed, man. You know, last week, since we didn't talk about it earlier in the show, I mean, we both had successful weekends. It's just, you know, Weidman came through. And you know what, man? I'm actually happy for Wadman, man. His back was up against the, the wall. He was in his hometown. I'm happy for the guy, man. Yeah, you know, I fell into that trap again, you know, of a fighter being done. I've, I've been starting to see it from, you know, from the outside looking in that, you know, these fights where a guy's done, you know, he's on a three-fight skid and everyone's counting him out. Generally, a lot of the times they come back and burn us and, you know, have a performance. They still have something left. But, you know, my, my parlay of Chris Wade and Jameer Rivera Cash, you know, Zaleski had a fight of the night performance against Lyman Good at plus 180. You know, so those two won. But, uh, you know, I did lose on Kelvin. It's no big deal. You know, I take the loss like a man. And every time I face defeat, I come back. That's right. And same here. Even though it was a winning night, Still, that last, you know, the main event does leave a bit of a sour taste in your mouth. But at the same time, I am super happy for Wadman. Because look, man, he went out there. He, I like it when people have their backs up against the wall and they go out there and get a win. You know, it's a feel-good story. And he needed that win so badly. And he went out there and did it. Look, if Zaleski and fucking Jimmy and Burgos didn't win, maybe I'd be singing a different tune. Maybe I'd be really pissed off right now. But I, I'm happy for Wadman. 
And speaking of counting dudes out that are on three-fight losing streaks, we forgot to talk about this. We got Josh Berkman. He's plus 300, and Drew Dober is minus 360. Now, Shaq, when this fight was first announced, I was thinking it was going to be a dead pick because, I mean, look, Drew Dober, you know, this this is a guy that got finished by Efrain Escudero in under a minute. One doesn't simply get finished by Efrain Escudero in under one minute, and he's a minus 360 favorite? Well, you know, when the fight got announced, I was expecting Dober to be a favorite, and before I watched the tape, you know, I was thinking of Dober as an easy parlay leg because it was Berkman. Berkman retired his last fight, and we know Josh Berkman doesn't win fights in the UFC. But then I watched the tape, man, and like you said, Dober goes out there against Efrain, which was supposed to be an easy win for him, and he goes out there and gets choked out. Under a minute. Under a minute, and then... You know, when he's fighting guys like Scott Holtzman, you know, he's in these tough wars with him. He, he's one and one going into the third round, and he's getting t- touched up on the feet, and he's supposed to be a national Muay Thai champion, and the guy's stuck in the mud. He has no head movement. His takedown defense isn't very good. I mean, he, he's gotten better over the years, but he's not on par with not even some of the mid-tier lightweights. You know, so I think this guy's barely holding on to a spot in the company. I think he will stay in the company, but he'll always be hanging on by a thread. And, you know, Berkman, he doesn't win fights in the UFC, but this is, like I said, that typical spot where everyone is underestimating the underdog because, you know, he's old, he's on his way out. But when you really look at the favorite here, I mean, what's he done? Jason Gonzalez, uh, he... He pretty much Jamie Varner. Jamie Varner. I mean, he he loses most of his fights in the UFC. There's no really clear advantages he has in this fight. He's I think Bergman's faster, more powerful, and you know Bergman has the more experience. I know Bergman. He he quits a lot. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> but plus three hundred, man. I'm gonna go with Bergman here. I think it's that typical spot where these old vets that are done quotation marks you know, come back and uh, get a win here. You know, this reminds me of that KJ Noons fight. I bet on KJ Noons thinking Berkman was done, and, you know, I lost. So I got to give Dober a lot of respect, though, because he did one thing. He There's one thing he accomplished where I'm like, this dude's a serious badass. He goes out there against Nick Hine. He loses a unanimous decision, and then he marries Nick Hine's sister. I'm like, yep. Dober's a badass, but as far as his matchup, man, I mean, it should be a dead pick So when you see plus 300 on Berkman, I mean, in normal situations, I'd play it, but since it is Berkman, it'll just be, you know, a tout master pick. But look, man, Berkman should not be plus 300 here. It should be close to a pick with a slight lean on Dober, but minus 360, plus 300, it's, it's dog or pass at this point. So I'm passing, but my tout master pick, and I am top five, in the world in top master is Josh Berkman. We'll see what happens with that because, you know, one doesn't simply pick Josh Berkman. Now, next up, this is going to be good, man. We got an intriguing flyweight matchup between Jared Brooks. He's minus 150. The comeback on Eric, is it Showtime? <laughs> Eric yeah, Shelton is plus 130. What are you thinking, man? You know, Jared Brooks is a very high-level wrestler. I think he's like a world champion you know, world championship level type of wrestler. And, you know, I haven't really seen too much tape on him. There's not too many fights on YouTube. You know, he had a good fight with CJ Hamilton years back where he just completely straight up grinded him. Their wrestling was serious. But, you know, I think this could be a factor of that UFC experience. You know, Shelton, he went in there against Pantoja. I thought he lost 30-27, but he showed me some good things. Showed me some good things in that fight. You know, he landed some uppercuts, but, you know, Pantoja, Pantoja likes to get hit a lot. 
But I think he's very athletic, and I think he could actually stuff these takedowns. He's actually got very good wrestling as well. And, you know, it's that UFC experience. And uh, I'm going to say he pulls out, a, squeaks out a 29-28 decision. I think Brooks, you know, spends too much energy trying to go for big slams, taking him down. And uh, Shelton takes the last two rounds just by landing the more effective shots. And uh, Jared Brooks gets that first UFC L. I agree with you that it's going to be a 29-28, but I actually think Brooks is going to win the 29-28. Look, Eric Shelton's got a lot of hype. He's super athletic, and for a long time, people were saying, you know, this could be the guy in the flyweight division. It hasn't exactly materialized, but I do see glimpses here and there, you know, of the potential this kid brings to the table. But his biggest issue is his takedown defense. We're dealing with a stud wrestler here in Jared Brooks, so what I'm thinking is, First two rounds, Jared Brooks is going to get those takedowns. But then that third round, you know, it is that UFC debut. I think he's going to gas out a little bit. And that's when Eric Shelton's finally going to wake up. And everyone that's betting on Shelton is going to be like, oh, come on, Shelton, finish him. Come on, man. And then you're going to pray that, you know, you won either the first or second round because you're going to win the third round. But I do think it's going to be a 29-28 split decision for Jared Brooks. The takedowns will be the difference. Now, this is the last one, man. You ready? We got Alexandra Albu. She's minus 165. The comeback on Kaylin Curran is plus 145. Now, allegedly, Alexandra Albu is 2-0. Allegedly. We both know she's not really 2-0. Yeah, she's really 6-0. And, you know, like I said earlier, this could also be a trap fight where Kaylin Curran is done. She doesn't win fights in the UFC, but Albu's coming off a two-year layoff. And the... I mean, in her fight against uh, that Polish chick, you know, she had some good takedown defense, very good in the clinch, and that guillotine choke was disgusting. I mean, it was razor tight. And we know it does not take much to break Kai and Curran. But in Curran's last fight, she lost to Jamie Moyle, who was supposed to be an easy fight for her. They were trying to get her back on track. And, you know, she goes in there and gets taken down and loses all three rounds, just, which is just proving that this chick was never good to begin with. But... I don't think she quit in that fight. I actually think she just I think she just lost. I don't think she quit. I think she fought tough all three rounds. She's just not that good. Her takedown defense isn't good. She likes to strike with her eyes closed at times, you know, so that shows me where her heart and head's at. And I just think, man, it's a case where she's just happy to be there, man. I think she's just a nice girl. And I, do I think she has it in her? I don't. But I wouldn't be shocked if she pulled this off just because Albu's coming off the layoff. And... We really don't know too much about her, so I don't I don't recommend betting on either side. You know, if you want to play that fight starts around three, I think it was like minus one something. If anything, I still wouldn't even play that, but I know some of you people like to bet things like that. So, you know, if anything, I think it was really low. So, uh, but my pick is going to be Abu just because I'll never pick Kern in a fight just because I question her heart, I question her toughness, and I question her skills. So, I'm going to go with Abu. I got Albu as well, and the layoff doesn't really concern me because it wasn't, you know, a layoff because of the new drug testing, you know, this or that. It's because, you know, she's she's, she's a smart chick. She yeah. went to school. I forget if she went, you know, to become a lawyer or a doctor, but bottom line, like, you know how, like, Klitschko has a fucking PhD and yeah. shit, you know what I'm saying? Like, she's one of those chicks. Not saying that she's going to reach that level. All, all, all I am saying is that world championship uh, karate fighter. I'm pretty damn sure she's got a Sambo background, too, that we don't know about. Because, I mean, when I saw her UFC debut... She's a master of sport. <laughs> <laughs> master of sport. You know, it's funny because I saw her that UFC debut, and, you know, it says 2-0. and 
I'm like, oh, this she's 2-0. and oh. Shit, she's not experienced. Then she gets pushed up against the fence. You see that wide base. You see her swim for those underhooks. I'm like, yeah, this chick ain't 2-0. and oh. You know what I'm saying? She's got a lot of experience, and uh, she's very composed in there. She's technical. I mean, the jab is on point. The kicks are on point. The takedown defense is good. And m more importantly, she wants it. She's not going to quit. You know, if she gets taken down... You know, you, you see that look in Kaylin Curran's eyes. You know, she makes that facial expression when she gets taken down, and you know that you know she lost the fight right then and there with Albu. The fight ain't over till it's over. I gotta pick the fighter with more heart and more skill, and more will. And that is Alexandra Albu. So even though Kaylin Curran is quote unquote due for a win, there's no such thing as being due for a win in this game. And uh, I got Alexandra Albu. Well, man, now, now we officially did it. Now we covered the whole card. It's going down this Saturday, pay-per-view. Everybody support the sport and buy it. And Shaq, let them know where to follow you. I see you've been consistent with the writing. And uh, what's going on, bro? Yeah, man, just follow me, MMA Genius 5 Follow uh, the sport, MMA Matrix, uh, TSM underscore MMA. And I even made an Instagram account, uh, TSM underscore bet. So big things coming. We're going to keep cashing, and uh, we're going to keep uh, winning. Oh, so I heard uh, your third-party track now. Oh, yeah, yeah. My bets are on uh, Capertech as well, so you can go on there and check them as well. Yes, sir. For me, you already know, third-party track, baby, bestfightpicks.com slash record. It's got the links to the Bet MMA and the Capertech records. Killing it this year. About 40 units up, 21% ROI. Looking to, looking to take things to the next level. If you think I'm satisfied with those numbers, you're very wrong. Even though they're better than anyone else's numbers, <laughs> I still want them to be even better. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the play. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. And man, all I got to say is that we got a new setup here in the studio, and we're going to be producing a lot more content, a lot cooler shit, better production, better everything. So until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs>